And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, All right, we are here. Election is over, at least for the most part. Um, It was a rough night, a lot of bad, but some good, not all doom and gloom, and a whole bunch of races yet to be called. Uh, I break it all down with the great Greg Price. Always a great time talking to Greg. Um, Yeah, we we talked the midterms. We broke down everything that happened last night and what it all means going forward. I think you guys will enjoy it. don't despair, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Warriors, as always. Okay, keep it positive. Um, guys, before I get to Greg, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. If you are not, if you are an Apple user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Greg Price. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Greg Price. Greg, how you doing, man? I'm hungover as shit. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm currently, drinking a, I'm currently drinking a Gatorade Zero, so that's how my morning's going. I'm hungover as crap, and I had to drive my girlfriend to work this morning, so I, had to, I couldn't sleep in as much as I wanted to. Dude, we, uh, we went from thinking we were going to have a banger of a night. Um, early on, the New York Times was telling Democrats to... And uh, this is real. This was a real tweet uh, to, quote, breathe like a baby and also to dunk their heads in ice water. OK, so I was thinking, we're, I mean, we're in for a party. Right. And then a few hours later, we realized that last night was an unmitigated disaster. So the, the highs and lows, Greg Price, I uh, I don't know, man, we'll get to everything, but uh, we'll, we'll break down all these races. But how are we feeling this morning, brother? I'm not like disappointment, I would say, is the biggest emotion of the morning just because what happened is not bad. Like we're on track to take back the house. We're looking good in, uh, the Nevada and Arizona Senate races. Ron John is, has won already, which means when I, when Nevada, if we, so if we can, if Nevada and Arizona can, can go Republican, we take back, we'll have 51 49 Senate, regardless of what happens in the Georgia runoff. So, Basically, we have the like we'll be able to stop Biden's agenda, which is a good thing. But at the same time, we lost a lot of races that we should not have lost in a in a in a huge in what was supposed to be a huge wave year. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot and there's lots and lots of blame to go around. Um, You know, I think, you know, you can talk about uh incompetence among you know the republican establishment in dc you can talk about uh donald trump you know the donald trump factor the fact that a lot of the guys people he endorsed are are losing the fact that he like didn't spend a lot of money to that he had raised on them um there's blame to go around i think there's lots there's lots of soul searching that we got to do after today and and you know it's it's just disappointing. Like we should there's there's no reason it should have gone the way it did. Yeah. No man, you're absolutely right. 
Um, just right up front, let's just take our L's like men, <laughs> and then we'll get to some of the positives in a minute. But, um, you know, we are looking good. Masters could still pull it off. That's unclear. It does look like Kerry Lake will win. Laxalt in, in uh, Nevada should win. Uh, the decision desk just called Wisconsin for Ron Johnson. Um, so we they, called s- it, they called it last night. The decision, so it, it, the decision desk called it last night, like really late, like right before I went to bed. It was like 2.30 a.m. Yeah. But none of the networks have called it for Ron John yet. It's really sh- And he just like released a statement like shitting on the media for doing that. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on there. So I guess we can keep our powder dry there. But he did win with 100% of the votes counted. He's up a point. So. Something like 30,000 votes. Yes, he he has one. That's not yeah. That's not changing at all. We got to start. Um, let's start with Pennsylvania. Uh, Doctor Oz lost to John Fetterman. Um, we just have to start here because I understand. I understand what happened in PA. I get that <coughs> Oz sucks. I get that he's a TV doctor who lives in New Jersey. I understand he's not a great campaigner. I know he didn't work very hard on the campaign trail. I get that he's the Trump guy and probably shouldn't have won the primary to begin with. I get that Trump is unpopular in Pennsylvania. I understand all of that. I I get it. But I still, this is the one, I, I the whole, the results of last night are surprising across the board. But this is the only race that I truly can understand. We saw that debate with John Fetterman. The, the man can't speak. The man can't understand speech. Um, he needs to be rehabbing in a hospital bed right now not serving in the U.S. Senate. So, like, I just, I physically, I cannot, I, <clears throat> I cannot wrap my mind around this one, man. Yeah, my home state really uh, coming coming through. I, I mean, it's it's easy to wrap your head around. Like, th- there's a couple things at play here. One, this is basically, like, a lot of Republicans on the timeline were talking about candidate quality. But, like, the candidate quality, I guess, doesn't matter for, for Democrats because a literal stalk of celery with a D next to their name can win. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Like, you know, killing unborn babies means that much to suburban women in Pennsylvania that they will literally vote for this guy, this man who lived off, had an allowance from his parents until he was 45 years old, has never had a real job and literally is brain dead. Yeah. Like that's it means that much to them. But the other thing that was happening in Pennsylvania was Dr. Oz was simply not a very strong candidate. And. And like all and like you can go back to the primary, like all of the GOP candidates in the primary were not particularly strong. Like David McCormick was like a very out of touch Wall Street guy. Yeah. Happy Barnett sketched me out a lot because, you know, you know, people were reporting stories at the time that there was like things on her military records that she was lying about. So all those candidates were were not very good. And Dr. Oz, like people saw him as a carpetbagger from New Jersey. And I don't blame people for looking at him like that. That was and the other thing that was going on in Pennsylvania is the fact that Doug Mastriano did not run a very good campaign and got romped. Yeah. Coattails matter. That is a lesson that we should take from last night. You know, uh, the fact Doug ran 14 lost by 14 points to Josh Shapiro. And as a result, he dragged people. He dragged down ballot races down with him. So, you know, there's no reason why we should have lost to John Fetterman, but that was a huge, huge factor. Like you can look and then contrast that to what happened in New York. Lee Zeldin may have lost, but he ran an insanely strong campaign and got to 47 and he did better in New York than any candidate since George uh, Padakai or however you pronounce his last name was the governor. And as a result, even though he lost, Republicans have flipped, I think, like four or five House seats, 
House seats in New York in New York State, including we beat the chairman of the DCCC. Yeah. And so these coattails matter. And that is a huge reason that Dr. Oz lost in Pennsylvania. You could talk about his candidate quality. I don't think he's like that unlikable of a guy. But the biggest reason, in my opinion, that he lost is because of how bad Doug Doug ran his campaign. Yeah. How bad he lost. You know, with Lee Zeldin in New York, him running a strong campaign may we, we might only end up with a five seat majority in the House. I mean, Zeldin's campaign dragging those congressional candidates over the finish line might be the reason why we take back the House. I mean, that's how important coattails are. And, you know, for uh, politicos like us and, and people that are political junkies, folks that listen to podcasts like this, who are constantly watching, you know, the Senate, the House and, and these, you know, races with national importance, sometimes forget that people care way more about their governor <laughs> than than anything else in these these off year elections. Um, you know, people, especially after COVID, I think people realized how important their governor was. Whether you had a good governor or not uh, meant if your business survived or not, or if your grandparents survived or not. Um, literally matters of life and death. So, um, yeah, I mean, Doug running a trash campaign at the worst possible time. Um, yeah, and it sucks. And the thing is, too, the, these, you know, the governor is the top of the ticket when there's not a federal election. And, you know, you need coattails from your gubernatorial candidate. I think a lot of people, you know, Trump certainly believed that his own coattails, just his own endorsement, he believed he was so popular with the base that he could endorse just about anybody and they would win. And that's just not true, especially when you have a top of the ticket candidate that isn't performing well. Yeah, I mean, the Trump endorsement goes far in a primary, but it depends on the state of how well it will do. It it will it will go in in a general election. And the thing about Doug is like. Doug has a lot of conservative grassroots support in Pennsylvania, which is why he won, regardless of the fact that Trump endorsed him. Um, but Pennsylvania is a state where you need to win independence in order to win. It's a state that has a lot of independence. And, he, you know, and all, like all the independents did not like him. It's it's just a, it's as simple as that. Like they, they saw him as, you know, the media painted him as like an extremist and everything. And, you know, he didn't raise he had like no money on hand too. like it was just a very, very bad campaign. And he dragged a lot of people down with him. And it's that and that really, really sucks because now we're stuck. Although watching John Fetterman in the Senate is going to be like downright hysterical. And I'm actually like kind of looking forward to it. It's going to be like actually like just legitimately funny. Like the memers, the memers truly won that election. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, as somebody who's unironically against democracy like I am. Uh, yeah. You know, it will <laughs> it will be uh, entertaining, to say the least. Um, yeah. And let's talk about Georgia, too. Walker, Warnock. I mean, they're within a half a point of each other. Um, neither one of them is going to get to 50. Warnock actually came close. He's at like 49, 49 and a half. Uh, so he came pretty darn close to 50, which is not great. I mean, it's not a great sign. I, Walker can still take the uh, the runoff on December 6th. But um, I mean, seeing that Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams by, what, seven and a half points, eight points? The fact that Walker underperformed that badly, I, I, I knew he was going to underperform. I know that, uh, obviously, I mean, you know, not all the polls are, are false, right? Like, we, we knew that Brian Kemp was a lot more popular in the state than Herschel Walker. But, man, to underperform by eight, nine points, man, and, and you saw it in Ohio, too. You see Mike DeWine win by, 20, what, 22 and, and J.D. Vance win by seven. So all these candidates just underperforming the top of the ticket, 
we expected it. We expected these numbers to be down. I mean, you know, Walker's a wild card, you know, and he's not very popular in all the scandals and stuff like that. And then J.D. Vance is brand new. You know, he entered the primary without anybody in Ohio hearing about him. And DeWine's been a feature of Ohio politics for 25 years. So it's like he was going to underperform. But, like, the disparity in these numbers in, in both Ohio and Georgia are, like, it's, it's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. I had no idea. You know, it, I don't think we've ever seen vote splitting this bad before. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a time where we've seen, you know, top and, and 1A candidates on the ballot with this disparity. Yeah, I, I didn't expect to see the amount of Kemp Warnock voters in Georgia as as we're seeing right now. It, it's very like like, like I, who's I, I, that I, person? Like, who is that? Indiv- like, who is a Kemp Warnock voter? Like, it's I mean, like to I, me, I, sitting here in Ohio, it's like mind boggling. But I, yeah, like a like a DeWine. Like I get I get Tim Ryan because he kind of has a lot of blue collar appeal in Ohio. Like I I understand that. Um. But like I don't understand the Warnock Kemp people because Kemp like is a conservative, like very conservative, and Warnock is like a is a, you know he, he's a liberal, like he's a he's a very liberal Democrat. So I I truly don't understand that. And it's it's it, like I could I don't even know what to say about it. Like it just boggles the mind. Like you can't even talk about abortion in this case because Kemp signed the heartbeat bill. Yeah. In, in Georgia, so like I. I I truly could not tell you what's going on there. It's it's weird. So explain to everybody back home where we're at right now um, with the numbers in Arizona. So right now, I, there's 74% reporting. Uh, Carrie Lake is down a point. Masters is down, looks like five or six points. Um, but all the early votes, which are the skew heavily Democrat, are already voted. We're all, you know, we're looking at same day um votes or election day votes in a lot of rural areas as well so it looks like carrie lake should be able to win somewhat comfortably anything can happen I, you know i don't, I don't want to speak too soon but she should win masters it's going to be tough he can still pull it out but explain why both of them at least at, at the very least have a chance here well you pretty much said it all like you know it, it, we're essentially seeing the same exact thing that happened in arizona the last couple elections where they, they've counted all the early votes and the mail-in ballots first. They're, so the Democrat went up big in both races, Mark Kelly and Katie Hobbs. And they've now begun counting the, you know, the election day uh, votes. And so those are going to skew heavily, heavily, heavily Republican. And so I think Carrie Lake is probably going to win by a, like actually a very comfortable margin. She's only down by like 1% right now. And I think if you know if she wins by the margin that I think she's going to, I think that'll be enough to pull Blake over the top. I'm very, you know, cautious, I'm cautiously optimistic, obviously, but I think we're I think we're there's reason to be optimistic about the Senate right now because right now it's 48-48 and Laxalt is looking has a very comfortable lead that he's not giving away. Laxalt is going to win, and so if we win both of if we win one of if we win both of those races, we are Republicans now control the Senate again regardless of what happens in Georgia. We, we like if, if we win those and if, if Herschel can't win the runoff, it'll be a 51-49 Senate in favor of Republicans. I think Herschel has I think Herschel can absolutely win. So we could potentially have a 52 uh, a, a 52-48 Senate. Um, so I think there's there's there's, you know, a lot of black pills, but there's still lots of reasons to be optimistic. And I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, we will see the Republicans take back both the House and Senate, although the House is going to be by a much slimmer margin than it should be. 
Yeah, we're looking at something like five. Something like a five-seat majority in the House. Yeah. Um, obviously, we were hoping for 50. A lot of people were saying, you know, we're going to be in the 35 to 40 ballpark. Um, even the major, I mean, even, you know, like Cook Political and 538 and these these outlets that skew left were projecting anywhere between, you know, 20 to 25 uh, seats, uh, seat pickup by the GOP. So I mean, that, that was just way off, you know. Um, I mean, maybe the, for the first time ever, um, these polls were actually favoring Republicans. Like the generic congressional ballot um, was showing like R plus four, R plus five for the last month. And it looks like, I mean, maybe these pollsters almost overcorrected for the last decade of being wrong in the Democrats' favor. Maybe they almost, I don't know, did they did they overcompensate a little bit? You know, it is fascinating. And then with the Senate, you know, obviously at, at the bare minimum, it's going to be 50-50. We should end up with 51 or 52. Um but, man, I, I'm just not comfortable with that majority when Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski are out there just waiting to play spoiler and vote for Biden's agenda. You know, like I was I was really hoping for a Romney proof majority, um, but that's it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So it is going to be tough. I mean, these next two years will technically have the numbers to stop the Biden agenda if the GOP can whip votes, if they can keep their their members in line and keep them unified. And that's. I mean, Democrats fall in line. Republicans don't, you know, so it's yeah, it is going to be a stressful two years for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, like, look what's happened over the last two years. Like Republicans have voted time and time again for Joe Biden's agenda, whether whether it was the infrastructure bill, whether it was gun control, whether it was Ukraine, like sending billions of dollars to Ukraine. They all voted for it. So I have no faith in uh, Republicans to actually uh, kneecap Joe Biden's agenda. But, and, and what that shows is that we need new leadership in the Senate. Mitch McConnell's got to go. Yeah. He's like the least popular politician in America. He spent more money to help Lisa Murkowski beat an America first Republican than he did on Blake Masters and Don Bulldock. Shameful. And the only reason he did that is because both of those people said they wouldn't support him for majority leader. Like we need a we, we need a new leader we need a new leader. I appreciate what the guy's done when it came to the Supreme Court and everything. I think he's done good things in his career, but his time's done. But so he, we need new leaders, and like we're not, we're not we're not going to get anything done with, with with the leaders that we have right now. Allegedly, also, allegedly, Rick Scott is going to challenge. Yeah. Um, but also, like a major, leader, a major thing to add about that is that we have like now that this election's coming to an end, and you know we're seeing what we're seeing there's a hugely hugely important race for in the republican conference coming up for majority whip and so mccarthy's going to be the speaker scalise is going to be the majority leader nobody's running against them the whip is a race between jim banks who should be who in my opinion i think would be the best what would should be the speaker um but it's between him and tom emmer tom emmer is if you're mad about these election results, Tom Emmer was literally chaired the NRCC. So he did that. He's also a rhino who's voted very, you know, he's he's voted in favor of all the things that a lot of things that you hate. Like he sucks. We need Jim. We need uh, Jim Banks to be the whip. So if you're listening, tell your Republican representatives to vote for him because that like that would represent a huge change in leadership in the Republican part in our, in our, in the Republican party in DC. Yeah, absolutely. And the whip is important, especially with the majority that's yeah. small. I mean, it's going to be tough to whip these votes, you know, and like, that's, you know, you were talking about, co- you know, candidate quality, talking about Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. And 
the reason the best thing about the Republican Party is also the worst, <laughs> the worst and most dangerous thing about the Republican Party is that you know candidate quality only matters on the right side of the aisle. I mean, but Democrats are collectivists, like they are. NPCs. I mean, they get in line. Whether you're talking about voters themselves or talking about, you know, congressmen, it's not hard to whip votes if you're a Democrat. It's not hard to get people to vote, you know, average voters to vote for a bad candidate if you're a Democrat. Just look at John Fetterman. The guy can't speak. And, you know, it's frustrating as Republicans. We're like, why can't we get these people in line? Why can't we herd the cats, get people out? Because we're not collectivists, man. <laughs> like, Republicans actually do believe in individual liberty and, and actually think for themselves and don't want to be told what to do, and that's a beautiful thing. It's also super annoying on days like today, you know. But it's like I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. I, w- I wouldn't, I, I don't wish for the Republican Party to become a monolith, uh, you know, of of groupthink. I mean, that wouldn't be better, certainly. But uh, it's just hard, man. It's hard to whip votes. It's hard to get Republicans out to vote for a bad candidate. And yeah, I mean that that's the virtue of the Republican Party and its downfall sometimes. Yeah, you're right. Um, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. It's very, it's, it's, it sucks. Like it, like, you know, it, <laughs> you know, have, you know, as much as we hate Nancy Pelosi, we have to give her some credit and all the, all the people in her conference wouldn't dare double cross her. Like she, and she only cares about winning. And we really don't have somebody like that in, in the GOP. Like, you know, they vote, like half of our Senate caucus literally voted for Biden's gun control bill. Like, yeah, well, people who represent very red, very pro two A states. Um, like, when was the last time you ever saw a Democrat um, in like a D plus a million district ever vote against Nancy Pelosi? It's never once happened. Not not once. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you see, but, you know, Rashida, happen, to, you, you see Rashida Tlaib and, and Ilhan Omar voting to send weapons to Ukraine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah, they just fall in line, whatever whatever the party says, man. They do. Like, that. that is like a perfect example, too. Like, these people in this, the so-called squad who, like, were, were supposed to be, like, this fresh new face of anti-establishment people, they've fully bent the, the knee to Nancy Pelosi at this point. They've like fully been co-opted by the D like they all voted. They've all voted for every for Ukraine aid. They vote like they've, they're voting to start wars. They vote with Nancy Pelosi all the time. They've never once bucked their party. And like we just, you know, <laughs> the GOP just doesn't doesn't have that. Like we we have pe- people vote against us all the time. And it's it's it sucks. Um, we got to really talk does. about some positives, man, because there are some bright spots real quick before we get to Florida. Um, one, one bright spot is that we, I assume we're never going to hear from Beto O'Rourke or Stacey Abrams ever again. I mean, Beto's lost three times. Abrams lost twice. They both went down hard. I mean, Abrams lost by what? Seven, eight points. O'Rourke lost by 12 to Greg Abbott. Uh, Some of these, like these people that Democrats love spending money on, love promoting They go on all the late night comedy shows. I mean, these people are just jokes. You know, like they've been rejected by voters over and over. You know, even like Stacey Abrams, like, you know, with the political landscape as it is last night. I mean, she should have if she didn't suck so bad, she probably would have at least gave Kemp a run for his money. But I mean, good riddance to these two clowns that they've burnt like Beto is just the funniest example. Like he's like the, the guy raised in 2018 
90 million dollars in a senate race against ted cruz which was the most money that anybody had ever raised for a senate race this time he raised 60 million dollars to run against greg abbott and he went down in flames both times this guy like he's he was like been touted as like the future of the democrat party um when in reality he he, he's literally the only talent that he has is just burning burning act blue money sending it down the drain and it's so funny like there's like a cottage industry in america of uh you know democrats running in races that they can't win but raising a shit ton of money off of it and becoming like rich and famous off of it and stacey abrams is a perfect example of that stacey abrams has become literally famous rich and famous for losing twice Literally for loot, like the, she's the she's the most famous loser in America. At least this time, she actually conceded and isn't denying the election like she did last time. Um, but again, she raised like over a hundred. She she and her pack combined raised over a hundred million dollars, and seventy percent of it came from out of Georgia, like just just small dollar donors, like in New York and California, and not just small dollar donors, but like huge rich. Democrat donors, just money gone by the wayside. And like the same thing with Marjorie Taylor Greene's opponent. This guy raised $15 million and spent like 14 million of it. And they called the race in five seconds. Like <laughs> they got, yeah, they called it like six thirty. <laughs> yeah. Like this is like, this is a real thing that happens on the, like we could talk about Republican incompetence all day, but Democrats love to spend an inordinate amount of money in races that they don't have a shot of winning that they just burn that they send that money down the drain. And so that's just hilarious to watch. I mean, God bless them. If they didn't, then we'd really be screwed. I mean, if, if, you know, if a fraction of the money that Stacey Abrams raised went to Warnock instead, he probably gets to 50, you know, if, if yeah. a, a fraction of that money that went to Beta O'Rourke went to Wisconsin to run against Ron Johnson, he probably loses that. So, I mean, I, I hope Democrats don't learn a lesson and keep, you know, lighting giant piles of cash on fire because it might have saved our skin, saved our bacon last night. <laughs> but um, let's get to Florida, man. The one bright spot here, Florida is redder than Alabama at this point. I mean, Republicans have a supermajority in both houses of the state legislature. Um, we saw congressional seat pickups. Um, we saw uh, Luna win Charlie Chris's old seat. That was a 50-50 seat. Um, and Ron DeSantis, this man won the governorship four years ago by a fraction of a point, something like 30,000 votes. He's going to win by well north of a million and a half votes this time around. He won by 20 points. He has changed Florida politics for a generation. Republicans essentially don't have to spend any money in Florida in the next presidential cycle because of Ron DeSantis. And it's because he's governed well. I mean, he's governed, governed like a true right winger. You know, economic freedom mixed with a willingness to fight the culture wars from slapping Disney around to stopping the left from transing the kids and all this stuff. Um, the the uh, parental rights and education bill, which is phenomenal, one of the best new laws passed in a long, long time. He won a majority of, of Hispanics outright. He won Miami-Dade County, which if you've ever been to Miami-Dade County, you know how crazy that is. And Palm Beach County. And Palm Beach County. I mean, like, that unfathomable four years ago unfathomable four months ago when we thought he was only going to win by five or six points and we would have been happy with that 
So I just have to say he's the leader of the movement, man, and he needs to be the nominee in 2024. Yeah, I mean, Florida is, is, is a model for Republican governors and Republican governance in general, in, in general across the nation now. Like to put to put the Miami-Dade thing in perspective, that's a, that's a county Hillary Clinton won in 2016 by 30 points. 30. And Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio are on track to win it by double digits. That, that this was this was it's now 2022. That was six years ago. And like and you're right, like I, I think the 2018 election in Florida is probably the most the single most important election like that that we will ever see because yeah. of how close the margins were. Like people forget Ron DeSantis nearly lost that election. He won it by the most razor of thin margins. And Broward County tried to steal it from him. Yeah. And like, yep. but we were like, it was like, I think a 30,000 vote margin. 30,000. Yep. 30,000. We 000. were that close to not having a Governor DeSantis. It would have been Andrew Gillum, who's now been indicted for multiple federal crimes. We were that close to not having the Florida that it is today. And so that is like, like, like that, like, thank God every single day that we, that we won, that we won that race. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. You know, heavy D has showed us the way forward. Like we can't be like people like when you fight the culture war, like they like it when you use the power available to you in order to uh, crush the entities in society that are crushing us. People like these things like even like and he's just a competent person at doing it. And people like that. And that's Republicans across the country need to model it like. I hope like Glenn Youngkin should be doing the same things in Virginia right now that Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, DeSantis is so successful because of a couple of things. One, um, COVID. Yeah, I mean, he just like every other governor, he locked his state down. But something like 10 days later, he opened everything back up. It might have been 14 days later. It might have been two weeks. But he immediately he realized that was a mistake. He apologized. And he changed course um, when a lot of other governors, including my own in Ohio, did not for several months. Um, so he realized what was going on. He realized the economic toll that was going to happen and the, dis- the the destruction of people's lives that, that would have taken place if he would have kept the state locked down and changed course. And he's he's also so successful because of the Hispanic vote. I mean, so many Hispanic Americans have, have registered with the GOP. He won a bare majority of the Hispanic vote, which is... I mean, going back even a couple years is unimaginable. And it's because of the children, right? It's the same reason why Glenn Youngkin won uh, uh, last year in Virginia. It's, it's the kids, man. It's the children, stupid. I mean, these Hispanic parents don't want these crazy, blue-haired, you know, gender binary leftist government school teachers transing their kids, you know, convincing their son to chop his dick off. Okay, Hispanic parents don't want that. No parents want that. Okay, it, it, that it's it's common sense stuff. And you know, for all the Republican governors who don't want to quote unquote fight the culture wars, man, what what are you talking about? Fight the battles that matter to your constituents. Of course, the culture wars matter. Matter. You're talking about people's children. What matter? What matters to a voter more than their kids? Nothing. These people would die for their children. Of course, it matters. He had the balls to fight the culture wars, and it wasn't this like blunderbuss, scattershot fighting culture wars the way Trump did. You know, he'd just like rifle off tweets about everything, and he'd do a speech and hit like 25 different issues. It was like targeted stuff. It was focused. It was disciplined, and he really took a knife to Democrats, man. 
I mean, that that Parental Rights and Education Act is that that's some brutal stuff. I mean, he he got it done there because um, he was focused. So, yeah, man, he, he truly is the example for every Republican governor in the country. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, you, you summed it up pretty, pretty well there. Um, you know, there's been like some there's been this weird consensus in, in GOP circles for a long time that culture wars are somehow a toxic thing electorally. But DeSantis is proving that that is completely false. Um, you know, he again. Yeah. You talked about the schools like people like I saw a tweet from Colin Coward, the sports commentator, where he was like, yeah, yep. you, you come after our kids. We're coming after you. And the left is coming after your kids. They are. You know they they they're attacking families in a in a major way, and Ron DeSantis has been at the at the tip of the spear fighting back against it, and that's why he's been so successful. And this kind of stuff appeals to a wide variety of voters, as 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 we see him flipping Miami Dade and Palm Beach County, which have been blue since like the beginning of time. Yeah. And so yeah, this is like you know every Republican governor needs to be doing in their states what DeSantis is doing in Florida. And I have to do my patented speak way too soon and immediately jump ahead to 2024. Everybody knew it was coming. But I uh, I just got to go there. I got to go there. Donald Trump has outlived his usefulness, you know. And a lot of people are super loyal to Donald Trump for some reason. Um, and, I mean, I endorsed him on this show. I've created a lot of Trump voters, okay? I've changed a lot of votes from other people to Donald Trump over the last— handful of years here on this podcast i voted for him twice i mean it's not like i'm some anti-trump guy but ladies and gentlemen i gotta tell you donald trump has no loyalty to you so i don't know why you have loyalty to him he is a politician now like everybody anybody else um and he it's it's over i mean he had a moment politicians have moments and it's gone i I, there is no path right now to trump i'm not saying he couldn't if he's the nominee i'm not saying he can't win because anything can happen. Biden has dementia. The country's fallen apart. We're, we're barreling towards probably a, another depression. You know, it, it probably is worse than your run-of-the-mill recession when it's all said and done. So, I mean, anything can happen, I suppose. But I don't see a path to him outperforming how he performed in 2020. There's no, there's no way he's going to be more popular outside of the base, which the base doesn't matter, in federal elections. Independents choose the president, ladies and gentlemen, not people with MAGA hats. There's no way he performs better with independence in 2024 than he did last time around. His candidates are losing. A lot of them are losing badly. Even the ones that are winning are underperforming, you know, non-Trumpy candidates. And I'm not being an establishment shill. I'm a freaking anarchist that doesn't believe government should exist. So, like, I'm the furthest thing from a Mitch McConnell National Review supporter as it gets. Believe me. I'm, I'm further away from that than Greg is, ladies and gentlemen. So, like, don't think I'm being some hack or whatever. But it's just I I can't look at the data this morning and come to any other conclusion that the Trump era is just over. And if the GOP double down doubles down on Trump, I think it's going to get really bad. I think 2024 could be an absolute disaster. So tell me tell me why I'm wrong. I mean I I hope you disagree honestly. Uh, you know the, the case has certainly gotten. Um, you know Trump's case obviously went down a lot last night. You know, I think it's it's a legitimate criticism, the fact that he did not spend a lot of the money that he has raised in any of these races. That's bad. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a real— Just a side note and hold that thought, but yeah, I, I don't think we've mentioned that. He raised over $100 million 
this cycle, and I think he only spent about fifteen million on the candidates that he endorsed. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. Um, no, so yeah, you're, that's exactly right. And so I think, but the, the challenge though is like Republican voters are still like very loyal to Donald Trump. Like the geo, the GOP base is still with Donald Trump. And so the challenge for a guy like Ron, De, like the challenge for Ron DeSantis or just, or just anybody running against Trump in 2024, is you know making a case to the Republican base that right now is still loyal to Trump. That is a legitimate thing. You can't just throw that all of that away because doing that is akin to, you know, having contempt for the voters and you can't have that. And so that that's a real challenge, but I think they're, you know, DeSantis can certainly make a case for that. Like, I, you know, if he, if he, if he could run against Trump on like, I'm not, I'm the guy who didn't listen to Dr. Fauci, you know, I didn't hire John Bolton. There's a lot of things he could say. Right. Um, but it's going to be a challenge because, you know, that that's the re- reality. The reality is still the fact that Republicans love Donald Trump and that there's no there's no hiding. There's no hiding from that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, I just I, I think DeSantis can beat him. I think I, I think Ron can beat him in a primary. I mean, 2024 is I mean, well, quite literally uh, two years away, <laughs> almost, yeah. almost to the day. And, you know, real campaigning won't won't start for another year. Um, yeah. But I, I think he can beat him, man. I, I think he can. Um it would, it's certainly going to be a must-watch television, those debates. Yeah. And he's got to—this is his moment. And a lot of people, you know, whether they're on the in the DeSantis camp or the Trump camp, are like, ah, Trump, he's going to just try to ruin DeSantis' career, and he's going to talk all this crap and, and say crazy stuff and, and call Ron names and everything. Ron like, should just sit out and, and run in 2028. That's not how it works. Like, you don't have—like, Ron DeSantis won't be as popular in 2028 as he is in 2024. That's just not how it works. And, like, an example I always use is it sounds crazy now. But in 2016, Elizabeth Warren was one of the most popular Democrats in the country. Like, if she, if, if Elizabeth Warren would have run in 2016, she would have beaten Hillary and Bernie Sanders and probably beaten Donald Trump in the general. But she didn't. She was probably threatened behind the scenes by Hillary Clinton. And, you know, hey, who wants to go up against the Clintons? Maybe she saved her own life in the process. That's besides the point. But not only is she not popular, she's a laughing stock. She lied about being an Indian. She went like full commie. Like she just like totally fell apart. And then when she ran for president four years later, she was a joke. And I, now Ron DeSantis is not a joke. He's not going to turn into a moron and lie about being a different race or, or something like that. But he, he will like his star will diminish if he waits. So I hope. I know he's like, I'm just worried about governing Florida. Yeah, I know everybody says that. But every single governor, just like every single senator, any any politician that's ever won statewide wakes up every morning to an alarm clock playing Hail to the Chief. <laughs> because you don't become a governor or a senator if you don't think that you are the best man for the job to be the president of the United States. Unfortunately, that's just how it works. Um, so I don't think it would be hard to draft Ron to run in 2024. But I just think it's his moment, man. Looking last night. He won by 20 points, almost 1.6 million votes in what was a a state that Obama won twice, right? That's not too long ago. You know, they've had Democrat governors recently, Democrat senators recently. It is, it, it's phenomenal what this man has done. I don't think anybody else has the appeal, especially the Hispanics, you know, nationally than Ron DeSantis. 
I, it's just his moment, man. Don't wait. Don't sit around. Don't worry about Trump. You can beat what Trump's going to call. Trump's already threatening him. He's calling him stupid names. Just don't engage. Don't engage. Just be yourself. Ignore Trump. And I think you can beat him, man. I, I truly do. Yeah, I, I call it the Chris Christie rule. You have to run while you're hot. Like, that's, an, that's another great example. In 2012, right. if, if Chris Christie had run in 2012, he probably could have won. But he he didn't. He waited until uh, 2016 when his star had burned out, and then he became the caricature of Chris Christie that we know him today. So you got to run while you're hot. And so that's why I think DeSantis is absolutely going to run. Um, and, you know, you know Trump's going to call him mean names. Okay, welcome to the arena. How are you going to respond to that and make your case to the re- to the Republican base about why they should dump Trump and support you? That's 100%. That's, 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 a, that's the task at hand for Ron DeSantis. 100%. And one more point, too. Like, everybody has a moment, man. Like, and people that are super loyal to Trump don't seem to understand that 2016 was Trump's moment. It really was. And he wasn't able to recreate it in 2020. And he's definitely not at age 80 or 79, however old he's going to be in 2020. I think he'll be 79 years old. It's like, dude, that's you're not going to have another 2016 moment. Like, it's just not you, you just can't play the greatest hits, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's just not going to work. And what I've heard from a lot of Trump people, both, you know, people around Trump and then just people that are, are big fans. It's like, oh, he's, he's going to change. He's learned his lesson with. With staffing, right? Like he's going to hire better better people, surround himself with better people. No, he's not. He's surrounded by the same clowns that lost in 2020. He hasn't done anything different. He hasn't become more disciplined. You saw this by attacking Ron DeSantis a day before an election. He hasn't become more disciplined. He hasn't gotten any smarter with picking who to endorse. I mean, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker. I mean, these these candidates are terrible. He hasn't learned. Like he, So if he hasn't learned these basic points about campaigning and being a politician, how do you think he's going to, you're going to tell me he, he's going to change how he governed? He was duped into destroying the world by Anthony Fauci. Okay, I mean, that alone is, is probably proof that Donald Trump is not fit to, for office again, but I mean, how, how could I possibly be convinced that he would govern differently if he hasn't even, he's not even behaving differently than he did before out of office? So it's like, I just haven't, if somebody can make a case, like I'd love to like have somebody on the show who's just a big Trump guy make a case for Trump 2024. But it's like, how? I mean, he hasn't changed. He he hasn't. I, mean, I, I don't know. And the last year in office was an unmitigated disaster. He you know spent four trillion we didn't have, handed the full control of the federal bureaucracy to Anthony Fauci. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute nightmare. So it's like I I don't know. I, I I'm just not seeing the case for Trump moving forward at all. And I think. Even if you could make the case 24 hours ago, it's just tough, and I, I just don't, I don't think you can make that case now. Yeah, but uh, I mean, again, like, like I said, I, I agree with most of, of, of what you just said. Um, but again, the GOP base still loves Donald Trump. Like you, we follow the news, you know, you we we follow the news in a much different way than most people do. Right. Most and most people are still loyal to Trump, and, um. You know, so it's a tall task for DeSantis, but you're right. I think it's it's his it's, you know, it, he, he's at his peak and he has if he doesn't run now, his star is going to event is going to burn out eventually. I mean, so, can you imagine uh, a DeSantis it, with, uh, you know, people like extrats in his corner? I don't know, man. Could be <laughs> could be a winner. Any anybody yeah. else uh, that you want to highlight? Any other positives? Um, maybe like, you know, congressional 
seats, you know, any any of these state races that we haven't talked about that that should give us a, a glimmer of hope moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about how we flipped five seats in New York, which is huge. Um, I think we had a huge flip in Virginia with Jen Kiggins, Monica De La Cruz, one in Texas. Um, we flipped that, in that was one of the border districts, yeah, correct? She flipped, yeah, Myra Flores lost, but Monica De La Cruz flipped one of the border districts. Um, you know, Corey Mills and Anna Polina Luna both flipped districts in Florida. Oh, and Mills and Kiggins also beat two members of the January 6th committee, which is good. Um, John James won in Michigan. John James, who he, he ran twice for the Senate and lost. He, he won in, Michigan's t- in Michigan 10. So that's that was a GOP flip as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of plenty of reason to there's plenty of good news in, on top of all of the bad news from last night. Yeah. And Democrats are bragging about John Fetterman. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll take John James. <laughs> they can keep John Fetterman. Goodness. Yeah, exactly. Greg, my brother. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Hopefully uh, the next time you're on will be a little bit more positive, you know, a little <laughs> more positivity. But uh it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Happy Warriors, as always. Uh, Greg, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. Where can everybody follow you and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Greg underscore Price 11 on Twitter. Greg dot Price 11 on Instagram. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with myself now that all the races are over, but I think my next task will be getting Jim Banks elected as the whip. So that's the big thing to that's going to be happening happening now. Absolutely. First, I'd, I'd suggest a Bloody Mary. We all deserve one after last night. I, I had a I had a little bit of Pedialyte, and now I'm drinking a cold brew, so I'm starting <laughs> better. Starting off the day right. All right, everybody follow Greg. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>